We're going to dive into God's Word today. So if you've got your Bible, open up to the book of Nehemiah. And as you do, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was uh, in college, one of my roommates at Texas A&M decided to go out and get I heard a whoop over there. I like that. Very nice. This can be an interactive thing. We can keep that up. Uh, one of my roommates decided to go out and get a dog. It was a German short-haired pointer, beautiful dog. And if you've been around them or if you've seen them, you know that without a doubt, God created these dogs with a very specific purpose and how, the, how they're wired. You can see a picture of it right up there. The instincts that they have, the nose that they have to be able to do one very specific thing. <clears throat> and that's to point people to birds, right? That, that's what they're created to do. If you've ever seen one of them work out on a field, it is an absolute thing of beauty, the way that they're all over the place, sniffing and looking and searching and finding. And when they find a bird, that's what they look like. You know it. They, they're frozen. They're, they don't move a muscle pointing directly to the birds so that the people that are out in the field with them can know exactly where the bird is. Those dogs are designed with a purpose. They're created for a purpose. They are gifted and their, their instincts are all there for a very specific purpose. And guess what? As believers, as followers of Jesus, you and I also have a purpose. And our purpose, right, in this life, God, God has us here to point other people to him, to point people to a life-saving, life-giving, eternity-changing relationship with Jesus. And here's the deal, that purpose that God has placed inside of us should drive everything about us. It should drive what we do, what we think, how we, how we talk, everything to point people to Christ. You know, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah. We're going to start in chapter 6 here in just a minute. And as we've studied Nehemiah these past several Sundays, we've known that he was definitely purpose-driven. That God put a purpose deep down inside of his heart, and you can see him as he lives it out. He leaves a job that he's got with access to the king to travel a ton of miles back to the city of Jerusalem. He gets outside to work with his hands because God put it in his heart to build a wall. Kiddos, if you're filling out that listening guide, that's your first one. God put it in Nehemiah's heart to build a wall. And he began to build the wall, facing enemies from within, facing enemies without over and over and over again. But he kept going because he was driven by a purpose that was bigger than himself. He wanted to point other people to God. He wanted to point other people to a life-saving relationship with our Heavenly Father. And as we pick it up in, in verse 6, we're going to start, or sorry, chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 3. The context is this. The wall is almost done. He's actually sitting up on the wall working, finishing things up as we pick up this verse. And people have come in now at this point to try to distract him. They realize he's almost done. This is our chance. We've got to take him down now. If we don't do it now, we're not going to have a, a chance to do it. So people are trying to distract him and get him down. They're, they're trying to call him away from what God's called him to do, to go over and meet with them. They're trying to take him off mission. And in chapter 6, verse 3 of Nehemiah, here's how he responds. It says, and I sent, this is Nehemiah, and I, Nehemiah, sent messengers back to them saying, I am doing a great work. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down and be with you? Here's another way we could phrase that sentence. Nehemiah says, my life has a purpose, and I'm not going to let you or anything or anyone else distract me from the purpose that God has placed 
down in my heart. And as followers of Jesus, we should have that exact same attitude. Each and every one of us are called to something great. We're called to something bigger than ourselves. We're called to live just like Nehemiah with a purpose, pointing people to the glory of God. And as I read that in chapter 6, verse 3 of Nehemiah, as he says, I'm doing a great work or I'm living with purpose, it inspires me right, by his dedication, but it also challenges me. And it convicts me and it makes myself begin to, to ask some questions of myself and my life. And maybe you'll ask yourself these same questions as, as we read this. I'm thinking and wondering, man, am I living my life with purpose? Am I fulfilling the purpose that God's placed in my heart? Am I fulfilling the purpose that God has called me to? Or am I letting the things around me? Am I letting the distractions that come with school or with work or with a social life, or my phone, or never, am I letting the things of this world, the concerns and the cares of this world distract me and pull me off the wall and off mission? And here's my prayer as we dive in this morning, is, is that for me and my family, and for you and your family, that we would continue to live with purpose. We see right here in, in Nehemiah that, that he lived with purpose, and throughout the entire construction of the wall, we see several truths that help us, if we'll follow them, to live without the purpose that God has placed in our hearts. So we started in verse 6. I want you to flip backwards a couple of chapters to chapter 3. And we're going to see as we do the very first thing that God's calling us to from his word this morning is this. It's to do our part. If we're going to live with purpose, every single one of us is called to it. And we've got to do our part. And chapter 3 of Nehemiah, here's what's going on. Everyone is getting to work building the wall. And I'm going to read the first couple of verses of chapter 3, and then I want you to tell me if you notice what, what's being repeated over and over in chapter 3, right? It'll be a pop quiz right in the middle. Someone can call it out for me. The high priest, starting in verse 1, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it. They set the doors as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, it's important, and next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachor, the son of Emri, built. Verse 3, the sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, set the doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Mermoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam. And next to them, Zadok. And next to them, Tekotz. Is there anything that's being repeated here over and over and over in chapter 3? What is it? What's the phrase? And next to... And next to him, over and over and over, 19 times, if you count them up, in the 32 verses right there, we see that phrase, next to him or after him. It's a huge project. One person could not do it. It took so many people working side by side to make it happen. We've got a map to put on the screens. I want you to wrap your minds around the project that's going on here. Over two miles worth of walls being built. Two miles split up into 40 different segments. And every single person had to do their part in order to make this thing work out. This is a massive, massive project, construction to build the wall that took everyone. Has anybody ever tried to build a wall or a fence in your backyard, maybe? Anybody taken on that home improvement project? I did in the past couple of months. And uh, as I walked outside in the backyard with the dog yesterday, you know what I noticed? Boards are falling off it, right? It's a couple of months old and boards are falling off. I should have had somebody jump in and help. But listen, two miles, two miles of walls had to go up. 
40 segments, and everyone jumped in and did their part. They all had a job to do. It wasn't up to Nehemiah alone. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. I love this verse. It says, Next to them, Uziel, the son of Hariah, the goldsmiths, repaired. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. Every single person jumped in to accomplish what God had called them to. Nobody said, that's not for me. The, the jewelry designers and the perfumers didn't say, I'm staying inside. They didn't say, I'm going to stay in my lane and do my thing. They saw what God had called them to as a people, and they jumped in to be a part of the purpose for which God had them. And as I think through that, I can't help but think about the, the church family here. Right, how, how everyone has jumped in to be a part of what God has called us to. In the New Testament, we see that the followers of Jesus are what? One body with many parts. And that we're all vital. Everyone is called to do something right here within the church family. And for years we saw that with our North Klein campus. Everyone had a job to do. And they did it. Moving trailers, stacking chairs, putting up lights, installing sound systems. Week in and week out as, as this was a portable campus. And, and the only reason that it worked was because nobody said, not me. Everybody said, we're all in to do what God has called us to do. They chipped in and they made it happen. And people are still coming alongside serving to make it happen because the end goal wasn't just setting up and tearing down. The end goal wasn't just getting a trailer from one spot to another. The end goal was for our church family and always will be pointing people to a relationship with Jesus. And here's the incredible thing. For every single one of us, as we seek to do our part, we don't lose our purpose when we walk out the front doors of this building. The focus everywhere we go is still on Jesus. Everywhere we go, we're called to do our part in pointing people to Christ. It doesn't matter if we're waking up and going to school in the morning, if we're waking up and going to work in the morning. It doesn't matter if we're hanging out with different groups of people or God has placed us in different peer groups. It doesn't matter where God has us. Every one of us is called to do our part, to live for the glory of God, pointing people to the hope that we have in Jesus. No one can do everything but everyone can do something. In chapter 3, we see, we learn that we have to do our part. And as we turn the page and get into chapter 4, the next thing that we see that's going to help us to continue to live with purpose is this, is we have to stand united. We have to stand united together. We all know that we're going to face seasons of adversity. You might be in a season of adversity right now. You might be struggling through something. Maybe you just got out of one. Maybe you're about to step into one. But the reality is we're all going to face adversity. Nehemiah certainly did. And in chapter 4, we see two guys really rise up against him. Kids, if you're taking notes to send in to Miss Allie this afternoon, their names were Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat and Tobiah are two guys that rose up against Nehemiah to take him off mission, to stop him from doing what God had called him to do. And in verse 8, it says, They all plotted together to come against Jerusalem to fight and to cause confusion in it. These two guys were bad guys. These two guys did not live for the glory of God. And they wanted to prevent Nehemiah and the people that had joined forces with Nehemiah from living for the glory of God. And in verse 9, we see Nehemiah's response. We prayed to our God, and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. Nehemiah and his people went to God in prayer, and they stood united. 
And in chapter 4, verse 16, we see that from that day on, half the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor to fight, if need be, as they stood united. They were one body, one, one unified group with a plan, if they were attacked. And here's the incredible thing, right? They were all in this together. Verse 20 says, wherever you hear the sound of a trumpet, everybody rally up there. Join us at the trumpet sound and our God will fight for us. And I want you to think about what's going on there. They're expecting adversity. They're expecting an attack. The sign for the attack, if, if they were attacked, was to blow a trumpet. And when the trumpet sounded, think about what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to run towards the danger. They were supposed to run towards the attack. They were supposed to run into trouble, run into danger. Why? To stand united with their brother or their sister to repel the attack that was coming their way. And for us, it's the same thing. If we're followers of Jesus working together to point other people to Jesus, we have to have a unified front. When we face trouble, and we will face trouble, we see here that we're never to try to fight alone. It's not good for us. It's not good for the people around us. We have to blow the trumpet and let people know that we need help. We have to blow the trumpet and let people know what's going on in our lives so they can come and help us. I saw this yesterday. We were with our kids and we were at the beach and we were having fun and there was another family there as well. And my eight-year-old wanted to be buried. And so I dug a big hole and I, I plopped him down in the hole and I buried him with sand, put some water in it all the way up to his waist. Rossi, you're on Landon's baseball team. I'm going to ask you a question. He's buried in the sand like this. And then I looked at Landon. And I just wanted to have a little fun. Uh, don't judge me for this. And I said, Landon, if you can get out of that hole in 20 seconds, I'm going to buy you the biggest milkshake that I can find you at lunch today. And you have never seen a kid work faster and harder scratching away at that sand to get out. Rossi, do you think he could do it? No, he couldn't do it, right? Rossi, you got faith in him, but he was stuck deep down in that hole. And so you know what he did? He blew the trumpet. Like we see here, he said, guys, friends, I need help. I'm stuck in here and I can't get out. And so six other kids descended down on him and began to dig and to try to get him out as I'm counting to 20. And guess what? He got out of the hole. And he was here in the first service. He got out of the hole, but not in 20 seconds. And so I didn't buy him the milkshake. Um, but he made it out. Right? And he made it out because he knew he couldn't do it on his own. He had to call for help to get other people in. And here's what I know. I know that it's not easy for you to ask for help. It's not easy for me to ask for help. But we're all going to walk through seasons of life where we, we just need to ask other people for help. It's not easy, but it's right. It's not easy, but it's biblical. It's not easy, but it's the way that, that God has shown us to do it. Listen, if, if you're struggling with things right now, I just encourage you. Blow the trumpet and let people come alongside you that love you to help you. In this season that, that we've walked through the, the past 12 weeks or 13 weeks uh, with everything going on with, with COVID-19, there's a lot of people that are hurting financially. Man, if that's you, blow the trumpet. Let some people come alongside you and help you. If you're struggling with, with sin in a certain area of your life and you just feel like you're drowning and, and you can't seem to, to, to break free and to break loose, man, let's do what God's Word says and blow the trumpet and tell somebody. 
what's going on in your life. Confess to them. Ask them to hold you accountable, to pray with you. Let them know that you can't do it. You weren't designed to walk through it alone. If there's trouble in your marriage, if there's trouble with your kids or unrest, unsettled in your family, if there's things at work, if you're sick and you just haven't told anybody yet, and let me encourage you to, to blow the trumpet. Let people come alongside you. Let them stand united with you to help you fight the battle that's out in front of you. And if you would say, man, I'm not, just not sure that I'm, I'm at that point with anybody yet. I, I don't know how to even begin that conversation. Here's a, a very natural, easy way to do it. You can just say, hey, listen, at church this morning, we looked at Nehemiah chapter 4. When, when somebody was facing something hard, they blew a trumpet. People rallied towards them to help them. And right now, I just need to blow the trumpet and let you know that there's something very challenging that I'm walking through right now. Begin to have those real conversations with people so you don't have to walk through it alone. And let me say this. If someone does reach out to you and maybe blows the trumpet to say, hey, listen, I'm struggling. I need some help. Let me encourage you also to do what we see in God's word and, and run towards that trumpet sound. Run towards the person that is hurting. Run towards the person that needs help. Run towards the person that has invited you into their world so that you can love them the way that God has called us to love one another. We've got to get over the awkwardness. We've got to get over this notion of I can't help or I'm not qualified to help or maybe they don't want me in their business. And when we notice, when we see people are in trouble because we can see it or because they've told us about it, let's do what God's word says and stand united running towards one another to help. That's what we see in chapter 4. That unity, we know how important that is, that unity or being united oftentimes means fighting alongside somebody else, helping them in the battle that they're facing. And I want, to, I want us to turn the page now from chapter 4 to chapter 5, and that theme of standing united continues with us in chapter 5. And sometimes standing united means fighting against an injustice that you see among the people. We see that in chapter 5. Listen, the wall continues to be built. The wall is going up, and in chapter 5, the workers that were working on the wall realized something. They realized that they're hungry. They look at their fields, and they know the fields that are planted are not going to be able to feed them and to carry them through. What's going on is they've given a lot of focus to the wall and not as much focus to the fields. There's also a famine that the country is experiencing. And in the midst of that, too, by the way, the king is called the taxes due. And there's food and money that has to be shifted from them back to the king of Persia. So they're in this situation where many of the poor families are going to be unable to provide food for their kids and for the rest of the people and their families. And they're faced with an unthinkable option, their only option at this point to survive for a lot of them is to sell their kids into some form of, of, of debt slavery in order to get by. And if you're cringing at the thought of that, you should be because it's wrong. Never should have happened. Right? God ha had already worked out how his people were to deal with one another when there were poor among them. You can read it in Leviticus, you can read it in Deuteronomy, and it wasn't to take advantage of them and to exploit them. It was to love them with the love of Christ or with the love of God. And, and so when Nehemiah hears this, I want you to look in verse 6 of chapter 5 at his response. When I, Nehemiah, heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Nehemiah is angry because people were being treated in a way that was inconsistent with what God's word says. There was injustice among them. 
And because of that, Nehemiah was moved. He was moved to a place of action by his love for God, by his love for the Word of God, and for his desire to love the people of God. When he was confronted with, with this injustice at great personal risk to himself, he spoke up. And we're going to see that at great personal sacrifice to himself, he spoke up. He didn't have to. He didn't have to get involved with what was going on there. He wasn't affected. He was fine. He had all that he needed. He could eat anything that he wanted. He was in a great place, but he realized others weren't. And he was moved by a love for God and a love for them to speak up and to get involved. It could have derailed his entire project. It could have derailed the wall. He could have lost people that were financing. He could have lost people that were building. This entire thing, this entire thing could have gone south, but he knew he knew that when injustice arises, if we're going to be obedient to the call of God on our lives, if we're going to live out the purpose that God has given us of pointing people to Jesus, we've got to act. You know, several months ago, we prayed about what we were going to preach through this spring and this summer. And we plotted it out, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, from, from in March all the way through to the beginning of of August. And, and as we begin to, to look about it and pray about it, do you think that there's any coincidence that God led us to these chapters about unity and against fighting against injustice on this Sunday? A time when our country's fighting against racial injustice, a, a time when we're reminded that there is division among us, a time when many people are hurting, when many people are divided, when many people might simply not understand. I think it is a God thing that Nehemiah chapter 5 was laid out before us this morning as it shows the importance of unity, but not just unity. It shows the, the, that unity is achieved by fighting alongside one another and by fighting, standing up when we see injustice. As, as we've all had conversations and thought about and, and pondered what's going on in our country these past seven or eight days as we've heard stories from our brothers and sisters in Christ who have faced or who are facing injustices, a lot of us are confronted with this question, just like Nehemiah was. Nehemiah saw what was going on, and in his mind and in his heart, he had to wrestle with, what do I do? How do I get involved? Do I get involved? And if I do, what do I look like? But we see that he was driven by a love for God and a love for the people of God, and he could not, he could not remain on the sidelines. And so for us, as we think about I mean, what are we going to do as followers of Jesus, as the church, in this pivotal moment in the life of our nation, I think that God's word lines it out really clear for us. And I just want to say that in every situation, as followers of Jesus, our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, our actions are to be driven by one thing. And that's what the word of God calls us to do. Everything that, that we get flows right here from God's word as we seek to do what God's called us to do in our lives. And Nehemiah did that. He walked it out. I want to show you just the pattern that Nehemiah lived out as he fought injustice back in Jerusalem. And it just encouraged us to pull that forward and to live these truths from God's word out today. Nehemiah did five things. And the first was this. He just simply paid attention to what was going on. He heard about what was going on. There, there, there was some murmuring. There were some, some outcries among the people. And instead of continuing to do his thing, you know what he did? He listened. Right? He paid attention to what people were saying. And he began to learn about 
what was going on. And he didn't just pay attention to it. The second thing that he did is he came alongside people that were hurting, right? Just like in chapter 4 when they ran to the trouble. In chapter 5, he comes alongside those who are hurting. And we can do the same thing with phone calls, with text messages, with meals, just to check in to see how people are doing. Nehemiah did that. And then the third thing he did was this. He raised his voice. He raised his voice when he saw something that was wrong. Right? He went from, from being with the people that were hurting back to the rest of the group, the rest of the city. He said, hey, what's going on over here? It's not right. It's wrong. And it's wrong because it goes against what God has called us to do and how we're supposed to deal with one another when we're in need. He raised his voice, and then he didn't just use his voice. His voice was important, but he didn't just raise his voice. He did something with his hands. He put what God placed in his heart to a place of action, and he began to, to help. He began to serve. He didn't take what was rightfully his as the governor. He, he gave back food. He gave back money, and then he took from his own personal wealth and possessions, and he helped people that were in need. He served those that needed something. He didn't call on other people to do it. He stepped up himself and worked hard to meet needs by doing something. And here's the incredible thing that, that I want us to understand and see. What he did, how he reversed that wrong in the city of Jerusalem thousands of years ago, it, it didn't change things outside of Jerusalem. It changed things right where God had placed him. But that's where he had to start. He had to start right where God had placed him. And so for me and for you, when we see injustice, when we see things that are wrong, we've got this opportunity to follow God, to point people to Jesus by speaking up for what's right and pointing people to the truth that we see in Scripture. And because we live in a broken world, we're going to have no shortage of opportunities to speak out against injustice, big and small. And the church, and when I say church, I mean me and you. I mean individuals that make up the body of Christ here on earth. Me and you are called to shine the light and to show the world what love and what unity looks like. And it's possible only because of Jesus. I'll say if we don't stand against injustice, then unity within our, our body, our diverse body at Champion Force, it, it crumbles. If we don't listen to and seek to understand the reality of everyone else's situation, then the body of Christ crumbles. It, it suffers. Listen, John 13, 35, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, this is how the world will know you are my disciples, by how you love one another, by how you take care of your own, by how you treat people, by how you understand what's going on in their world and in their life, and you step up and seek to love them, to live out our purpose, pointing people to Jesus. We've got to do our part. We've got to stand united. And then third and finally, we have to finish strong. As we live with purpose, we've got to finish strong. We don't stop. We don't let things distract us from doing what God's called us to do. As Nehemiah is putting things, finishing touches on the wall, as he's up top wrapping up this, this long project, his enemies try to do anything they can to get him off the wall. They try to, to distract him. They try to lure him into a conversation. They begin to spread fear and lies and rumors about him. All of this stuff is going on, but he doesn't let any of that get to him because he's called to a very very clear and specific purpose by God. He responded time and time again to them as they tried to pull him off the wall with, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. 
He was living with purpose. And we've got to know that his work wasn't great. It wasn't great just because he was building a wall. His work was great because he was living out the purpose that God had called him to. And as we walk through life, every one of us is called to something great. We have the opportunity to do something great for the kingdom of God, to point people to the love of God in every area of our lives. It doesn't matter if we're students going to school. It doesn't matter if we're walking into our place of business or our our workplace. It doesn't matter if if it's in our marriage, in our homes, with our families, with our kids, kids, the way that we treat mom and dad, all of these different things. We have the opportunity to point people to the love of God. And when something tries to distract us, when something tries to take us off mission or off focus or, or do something in our life that would cause us to not point people to the love of God, we've got to remember that we are doing a great work and we simply can't stop. That's what we see from Nehemiah. God called him to build that wall to point the nations to him. And that wall, two miles, over two miles, 40 segments around the city of Jerusalem was built in 52 days. 52 days. That's miraculous. Only God could have accomplished that. We've used that phrase a lot around here, right? Only God. When we read that it was in 52 days, man, what should sink into our our hearts and our minds. Only God could have accomplished that. As Nehemiah and the rest finished strong, they did not quit. Kids, if you're taking notes, Nehemiah did not quit. And yes, he did finish the wall. And here's the incredible thing. When we finish strong, when we do what God has called us to do, people notice. And the amazing thing is this. They don't notice us. Who do they notice? They notice God. When we finish strong, people notice what God has done. Look at chapter 6, verse 16. It says, when our enemies heard about this, the completion of the wall, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized what? That this work had been done with the help of our God. So here's what happened. Those that did not believe in God, those who were not followers of God, saw the work of God and God began to change their hearts. They could not deny that God was at work among his people. And the same holds true for us. When you and I live with purpose, when you and I are focused on pointing people to Jesus. God does this great work in us and through us and the lives of those around us. And there's absolutely no denying it. We're called to live with purpose. Remember that dog I mentioned at the beginning? Every time I saw that dog, it, it was going nuts to do what God had designed it to do. It was going nuts to do what God had built it to do, pointing, pointing us to something else living with purpose. My hope is and my prayer is that we would too. That as a church family, we would live with purpose, that, that things would not be about us, that we would live in a way that points everyone we see, everyone we know, everyone we come in contact with to the glory of God. Right? Let's live with purpose. And as we do, then God will change the world around us. Would you pray with me? their heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to take just a second to think about that incredible purpose that God has called us to, pointing people into a life-giving, eternity-changing relationship 
with Jesus. And if you're here this morning, if you're watching online this morning, and you would say, you know what, and I'm just not sure, then I am in a relationship with Jesus, so I don't know how to point someone else to Jesus. Let me just encourage you this morning to take that first and most important step of stepping into a love relationship with Christ, trusting in Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Just a minute, we're going to have prayer partners who are going to be down front while we worship. They'll be over by the baptistry here by this cross. And when we stand to worship, if you know that this morning you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus, you can walk right over there. We would love to talk and pray with you. If you're watching online, there's a number on your screen right now. You can text your name into that number, and one of our pastors will call you and pray with you this afternoon as well. One more invitation for us this morning. If you would say you do know Christ, I just want to encourage you to pray, to ask him for the strength and the boldness to help you live with a purpose, to help you live in a way that would point other people to Jesus. And so if there's something going on in your life right now as we've walked through this concept of doing our part and and standing united and finishing strong, if God's placed something on your heart, if you need to pray with someone, if you need to blow the trumpet and say there's something going on in my life right now, I want to encourage you as well. We're going to have prayer partners by the baptistry that would love to pray with you about what God has placed in your heart. God, we love you and we trust you and we thank you for the opportunity to worship together as a church family. God, we thank you for your word. Father, and God, I pray that each and every one of us would allow your truth to sink into our heart, God. And as it does, I pray that all of us would walk out of here with a purpose, pointing people to the hope that we have only in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship now?